Welcome back to the Going to Match podcast. Today I'm joined by former Everton Rangers PSV and Man City defender Michael Ball. Michael is now a football agent and consultant and has a column in the Liverpool Echo. Michael, thanks for giving me time today, mate, and coming on the podcast. Yeah, no problem at all. Hello, gang. <laughs> okay, so I want, to take, I want you to take us back to your childhood and growing up in Liverpool, being a blue and watching Everton. How did your love for Everton Football Club begin? Um, it's through my father. Uh, my father's side of the family, really. Um, my dad was in the pub game. Um, I was, you know, I was born just off. I was born on Lowell Street, just off County Road. There, uh, so that's close to you know, Goodison Park. And then uh, my dad moved into a, a pub called the Tramways, which is not that far away. So, you know, I, I was always in the round football fans coming into the pub and celebrating before and after the game. And I used to be like a young kid, sort of, you know three, four years old, sticking my head out the window, watching them all go to the game. And <laughs> when, I got a, when I got a bit old enough, you know, my dad used to t- take me down there. And uh, I think sometimes he used to stink me in <laughs> sometimes. And then, <laughs> uh, you know, and I, you know just, just go to the game with my father. I mean, my dad's side of the family, you know, are quite big. My dad's one and nine. And the like, majority of them all went the game together. So it was like a big family occasion for us all. And all, oh. my, cousins would be, all my cousins would be there as well. So it was like a like a big meeting up point for us all to get together, watch the, watch the Blues. And obviously we were successful, you know, yeah. at that period of the time. So it was, it was pretty easy following them. Uh, the Blues would be, probably what it is now. Like, that'd be like the Dogs of War around, time around then. Uh, no, it was uh, early 80s. Uh, early 80s. The Dogs of War was like more uh, 90s, wasn't it? No, uh, so the 80s when we were, you know, we were successful. You have the, the the three FA Cups on the start, 85, 86, the finals, and yeah. uh, winning the league and stuff under Howard Kennel the first time round. So it was a successful period, probably you know, Everton's most successful period. So being a being a youngster and going there, and it was easier um, back then. It was it was a lot easier than it is trying to take my kids to the games. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember like the first match you went to as a fan? And is there anything that stands out that you can remember from like your first match day experience? No, no, my dad always talked about the first game, and uh, I think Everton won five 0 I think it was it was, uh, it was against Luton or some or something. But I can't. I was too young to remember. But um, probably when I got to about four or five, that's when I started going a bit more regular. And um, and then a, a, a big occasion was obviously the cup final '86. Uh, I remember getting last minute. I didn't have a ticket, and then uh, one of my, my father's friends finally got me a ticket the day the, uh, the day before the game. So I shot down with. Uh, the friend of a family on the train, and that train journey just seemed to take, I don't know, forever as a kid. You know, you know, you're like when you get in the car with your parents, are you there yet? Are you there yet? I, I was like that on the train for it just felt off on the train for like 12 hours, probably had two sleeps, and still wasn't there. And finally got to the game, and unfortunately, it wasn't the, uh, the result for the blue half of the, the city. But I just remembered the whole, um, you know, traveling down, meeting up with my family, my granddad, and then. Um, you go in the game and watching them all warm up and the, the songs of the Merseyside, both set of fans singing Merseyside, and yeah. it was just a, you know, a, a great occasion and something that sort of stuck with me that you, you you know you'd love to be a part of one day in your dream as a boy, as a kid that you know this is that football's all about and uh, unfortunately for for me yeah, you know it was uh, my dad and me my, my uncles all wanted to carry on having a few. <laughs> Uh, a few drinks, like I sort of got uh, locked in, <laughs> locked in the, uh, the hotel room with my cousins to, <laughs> to wait for them to, to come back after the, a few um, disappointment pints to get over the, the result. <laughs> so, do you still go watch Everton now, like obviously as a fan? Because obviously you can go now without your, like, your, your professional career is like done now, so you haven't got your, your professional hat on as much. Do you enjoy going back to watch Everton more as a fan now? Yeah, that was that was. Um, I've always tried to, you know, when I when I was home or you know when I was back playing from Rangers and we'd have maybe a break and if the game on, I'll try and get the odd one or two. And obviously, because you play, you don't get as many games as you'd like. But as soon as the, you know, I retired from the game and and especially I got me piece in the in the uh, the echo that it made me so you know started going again and enjoying it again as a fan. You know, normally you were sort of you know still a professional. You've got that sort of eye on. You look at the game with a different perspective, really, when you're still a player. Um, but then you, you can sort of let yourself go now. You know, I've got no ties for anyone. I'm just back from being a blue the way I was as a child and just you know, taking my children the game and um, you know, just enjoying what my dad did to do, to pass it down to my kids and hopefully we can be successful and, yeah. uh, and go with my friends. And you know, all my friends, you know, 
when he got a little bit older, we all used to you know, go in the Gladys Street together. You know, a good gang of eight, eight to twelve of us every every game, and um, it's, I was a YTS at the time, so I'd be at Goodison cleaning the balls or on the pitch with Nev, and then as soon as I've done my little jobs, I'd be running round the, uh, the the front of um, Goodison and round the back into the Gladys Street to meet up with all my mates to to support okay. them, support the Blues. So that was did, that you, was, kind of, so, did you kind of sorry? Did you kind of think? at that time like this is mental like you've got your YTS and stuff then but then like you say after the games and stuff you're just hanging around with your mates just like at the time did you think like this is mental it was it, it just gave me a, it made me more hungry um, mm. and, and at the time we probably weren't doing too well so you start thinking this is a possibility now you know I'm getting a little bit close I'm only YTS I'm only cleaning like the balls and helping you know Big Nevo was an absolute legend and yeah. you, know, to, you know to support but sort of shared shit, in the changing rooms with him and, and Big Nev used to like go out warm to Goodison many Evertonians will know that you know he'd be on the pitch at 11, 11.30 they're doing keepy ups with his shins on the on the, um, the halfway line and you know, <laughs> just to be a part of that stuff that I used to watch as a kid and and think, you know, he's mad, what's he doing? You know, yeah. <laughs> we've got a game in a couple of hours and then I'm a part of that you know, with a couple of other, you know, YTS lads and you know, James Spear and, and other goalkeepers that we had. You know, Big Nev was, you know, he ran this show. So to be a part of it, you just mm. just did whatever he did. Um, and then you go to the Gladys Street and you turn into a fan again. You're probably giving the players a stick, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but in my mindset, you know, you're just thinking, you know, you know you're, you're sort of colleagues, but then also... In your way of my dream of you know of my passion of wanting to put that blue shirt on for real, so it's sort of loads of mixed feelings. You obviously want them to do well, you always want them to do well, but then you you want your opportunity. Um, yeah, yeah. So building, you know, so, isn't it? Yeah, and it gives you the taste of it, um, and especially being around Belfield. Belfield was you know sadly gone, but that was a it was a great training. A very small and very old, but it just had a a great feel to it. You know, the history behind all the, you know, the magical players I play for the club have come through them doors and you know, the pitches were fantastic. And, you know, and, you know, that was always like, um, you know, you're a part of it now. And then can you sort of leave a bit of a legacy and, and start your own career? You know, that's just, that's what you, you get the taste of it and you see the, you know, the, the massive pros of the big dunk Nev and Dave Watson and, and the Gary Speed and all these players that, you know, you, you just watch them and you just sort of stalk them as a kid. You know, you're sort of watching every little part of what they do, good and bad, and, and trying to add it to your game to make you a better player you know, as, as well. But as a, as a fan, it was, it was always just going to, you know, like maybe cup finals. I thought it was a bit of a jinx at first, you know, because 86 and then there were... Uh, 89 I went um, we both got beat by by you lot and then when it, when it was in um, at the Little Shore National School they, you know, they let me out for the day sounds like it was in prison then they let me out for the day to, uh, to go and watch the cup final in 95 uh, that I used to share with Wes Brown so Wes went with Man United I went with uh, the Everton school boys and you know Luckily enough, we we come on top that game, and it was one of them games I didn't really want to go because I thought I'd been to two cup finals and we being beat twice. But so, you know, luckily we we got that one. Um, and a, a big memory is well, probably wasn't the game. It was 1987 when we won the league. Um, yeah. My dad had the same. My dad's just stuck in his old ways. They like, go to game and then you go to the Wimbledon. It's the pub, right? You know, a stone's throw across yeah. from the main entrance to Goodison. Uh, and that's where you meet up with the, you know, the rest of the family and they, they'll talk about the game, who was good, who was rubbish. And I was just a young kid there, just sitting there and listening to them all and probably getting 50p off them you know, to, to go out to shop and something because they wouldn't buy you a drink in the Wimslow and just little bits. That, but then we won the league and um, 80, 87, everyone was outside the Wimslow going through the whole team. Like there's only one Neville Southall and you know, number two Gary, uh, Gary Stevens and Pat Van Der Allen going to them, just singing and being joyful. And, and you know, that was, that's what you go to game for, you know, that's meeting your family and then Everton winning things. It was, it was good. So it was, you know, I've been a staunch blue, you know, ever since. And that's because we were successful and it was just happy times. Yeah, I suppose like you say there, if you win the league and... You go in with your family and stuff. It means more, doesn't it? You're sharing these moments together and the memories forever, aren't they? It is, and I think that's what you know. Obviously, a lot of clubs you, know, you you want to be successful, but I think that it helped me be a real sort of blinkered and you know top two blue is that we were winning things, and I didn't see like the, the difficult times. You know, everything just seemed to be a bit rosy. The only difficult times when we got beat, you know, maybe when Dagley scored against Chelsea to, to snatch the league off us, and. You know, um, you know that was that was another sort of occasion where 
my uncle had a, in one of the lounges, so sometimes we'll be in the lounges and I'll be like the little kids who have to run over to the TV in the corner. There used to be yeah. see facts on there and give everybody the uh, the up-to-date half-time scores and full-time scores before the Pink Echo arrived. And, you know, I just loved being a part of it all. And, um, you know, it was just you know, you know, fantastic you know, times for me as a childhood and I just hope Everton can start being a bit more successful so my kids can enjoy it. <laughs> So you touched on the uh, National School Lily Show there. So you went there as a youngster, so you were playing alongside likes of Michael Owen, Stephen Gerrard. What was your time like there? And did you know at an early age you'd go on to have a successful career in the game? I, I, yeah, I, always, I was always hopeful. Uh, and I think like, like many, many kids that age, it's your dream. So, you know, your school teacher will say the opposite. You know, don't be so daft, as which you got told so many times. Think of a you know a proper career, and but that just made him more hungry, more determined to prove them wrong. Um, you know, Stephen Jarrett never actually came to uh, Little Show for, for for some reason. He never got picked, which you know he should have. But you know, there was Wes Brown, there was Wes Brown, Michael Owen, uh, John Harley, uh, Stephen Asdon played for and Kenny Lund's crew. We had a we had a very very strong side, um, and that was for over a two year. A period like a, um, you went to a normal school and you just trained every day with the, the FA coaches and that sort of gave me um, a stepping stone really for when I, I joined Everton uh, for the YTS that I was probably ahead of them a little bit uh, because I've had this day, everyday training that they yeah. were probably only having once maybe twice a week uh, you know, after their school time, I was getting training once a day, maybe twice a day for for two years. So well, I was. So it was very, yeah, and you know, it's it, it was very beneficial for all of us. You know, I think a few of us all had dodgy knees, and I've, you know, my clone, myself, and Wes. I think we paid the price a little bit further down the line. But it was something you have an opportunity to do. You, you're going to grab it, and you know, leaving home, you know, they say it was a, you know, it's going to be a difficult for a two-year period. But you. You'd see your parents once a week because you play against like uh, there were sixteen in each year, so you'd play against Everton on the on the Saturday on the Sunday, or you play Liverpool the following Sunday. So you see your parents every week, um, and you just hope for a few more snacks and a few more drinks off your parents, and then off you off you go. And it was it was just yeah, it's it's like a boarding school, but we just had a laugh. There was thirty two lads between fourteen and fifteen, and you just make the most of it. And yeah. you know, obviously, the people trying to look after us, you know, they had a <laughs> they had a difficult difficult chance. But the coaching itself, you know, we'll work on certain situations, and yeah, the, the education of football was really important, which gave me, you know, as I said, a stepping stone for when I joined Everton as a, uh, as a YTS. That it got spotted. Looking enough, very, very early from Jimmy Gabriel, um, you know, another ex-player, and he was in charge of the reserve team, and he he sort of pulled me to one side and got me playing with the reserves within like a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. So that sort of helped me, um, you know, a bit of a confidence booster, but also to show that uh, I was capable of having a go, um, even though I was still a bit, still younger than the majority of people around me. That I had the ability, and I just have to try and keep improving and. And then just looking at everybody around me, and you know, our reserve team at the time was, you know, it was very good. Um, you know, personally, you had people like Andre Kincelskis who were coming back from injuries, playing. Yeah, you know, we had Vinny Samways, uh, Paul Rydell. So you had senior pros there, and Joe Parkson coming back that you could, you could look at again. You know, and just take in everything that they're doing. Uh, they're obviously not probably too not happy to be in the reserves. Um, playing football, but they needed to prove to the manager to get back in the first team, and yeah. you know, you see how they dealt with that situation, and that just gives him gives myself education. Um, Joe Royal was there, and yeah. That, yeah, it is. And I you know, listen to you know Joe Royal come down and you do the team talk, and you're like, yeah, this is you know, I've, I've got an opportunity, I've got to impress the the manager here, and yeah. they impress the manager. I'll be hopefully in the first team um, very soon, and that's what the way I, I sort of was. I was quite driven to. Obviously, to impress whoever I need to impress to, to get where I wanted to be. So, I believe you were at, uh, at Melwood as a youngster as well. So, you've been trained by the likes of Steve Highway. So, obviously, being an Evertonian, um, do you, there's people like Carragher that have obviously been a blue. Did you know then that you wouldn't make that transition into being a red because obviously your passion and your love for Everton? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <laughs> let, to, to, to give credit to Liverpool, they did try. Yeah. He did try very hard to, um, to to make me stay, and you know it was down to you know there was obviously Stephen Highway there, but Hugh McCauley and Dave Shannon were these coaches, and mm-hmm. you know without them three again, you know they were fantastic coaches. Um, 
just pity they were at Liverpool. You know, <laughs> they were, they were just, you know, they, you know, to this day I still talk about. You know, I've been to um, the academy with, with my friends, you know, kids, and watching them sort of develop, and it, it's still in that Liverpool system of how they go about the coaching, the sessions, the you know, the stepovers, and that, and how to. To educate the kids, and it's still there. Um, well, you know, I've got, to, I've got to give them a lot of credit how they sort of handle. They used to give me a lot of stick, but back then it wasn't. Um, you know, it wasn't what they get now. They don't get all the gear, and you, know, you get the Liverpool training kits and track suits and your names on. Back then, you, you just have to wear whatever kit you had, and the only kit I had was an Everton kit or a, maybe an England kit. You know, so I used to get a lot of stick, and it was, you know, it's good banter from them. Um, and then when it gets to like the, you know, the important age of you know, 13, 14, of you know, signing schoolboy forms. And, you know, as soon as I knew Everton were interested, you know, there was only one, one decision I was going to do. And yeah. you sort of, you know, Harry pulled me in. He got um, you know, McManaman and Fowler, Ian Rush to come in and, and just basically explain what the situation they went through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they explained, look, you know, I'm still a blue, but no, no I'm, I'm a red now, but, you know, I still look out for the, the, the Everton results and want Everton to do yeah. well. And I'm going, I just can't do that. You know, it's, just, it's not in me. And Graeme Sooners was the manager at that time. And, you know, we had, he had a good talk and, you know, he understood. And at the end of the day, he just said, look, son, you know, good luck, follow your heart, whatever decision yeah. you make. And, and the only, he said, before you go, you know, I'm English, you're English, I'm Scottish, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Liverpool, Everton, Everton, but just follow your heart, son. And, you know, good luck. And, yeah. you know, as soon as I went, as soon as I went home, as soon as I left, I knew, you know, my mum probably wanted me to stay at Liverpool because how good they were and how good the coaches were. But I just knew this was my chance to, to try and, you know, do the dream. That'd be big nana. Once said to me, you're going to play for Everton in England one day. And I just thought, if I don't go now, you know, I've, I've just this is my chance to sign school. Boys to sign a, a contract with Everton, your boyhood club, is, it's, it's now. Yeah, it's like, it's the dream. It's everyone, every kid's dream is to play for the, their team. But... Like on the professional side of it, it must have been great for you to have both Liverpool and Everton wanting you. But like that must have given you so much belief at such a young age. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It, it was, it was like, um, you know, again at Liverpool, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a great. We had, we had a great setup, you know, and you know, great players. There was Gerard Owen, but there was a few more, you know, good lads who were, were getting sort of handpicked. Um, you know, back then it was a centre of excellence, so you sort of get. You know, clubs all interested around about that 13, 14 age to go on trial and, um, you know, to see, you know, I, I think Liverpool have got to let you go. You know, you couldn't stand in the way. The Liverpool have put forward four or five players and um, we'll travel around the northwest. really. Uh, I think Michael Owen probably went to Arsenal, I think maybe as well. But I think right. I only went to, like, say, Leeds, Oldham, mm-hmm. um, Man United and uh, Everton. Uh, and then you sort of wait for a, a fax or a letter to see if the they're going to offer you like a deal. Um, and it's, I, th- I think Liverpool obviously, you know, don't want that to happen. You know, yeah. they want you to keep in house, but that's just the way it was back then. And it was over like maybe like the Easter holidays that, that, that occasion happens. So you get a chance to train for two or three days to show them what you, you're capable of. And in, in England schoolboys uh, you know, is round about that time. So you go to Keele University. So all the scouts from all the clubs are all there. So they see uh, you know, the handful of all the, the good players from each club and you know they'll pick and choose who they want to bring in for a couple of days to see if they're going to offer them like a YTS scholarship it's crazy like I just think going on to play for your boy or club must be just every it's every lad's dream isn't it so obviously you go on to play for Everton you made your senior debut against Spurs April 1997 what was that like having been a kid going to Goodison every other Saturday was it like a completely surreal moment for yourself you know like how did that compare coming onto the pitch, representing the club, to having been a fan, going to watch like your heroes? Um, I, th- I think now, it's, you know, I look back now thinking, you know, it was a big deal, you know, but yeah, back yeah. then, um, I think because I felt like that my debut was never going to happen. It just felt like it was it took a long time. I've seen other people sort of get the debut. I've seen like Branchy get the debut, Richard Dunn get the debut. And, and I was training with the first team all around, you know, for a, and, and traveling away with the first team. And I think that was thought down to Jimmy Gable and, and the managers to get me used to being around the first team players. So when the opportunity does come, I'm not starstruck. I'm not that Everton fan anymore. You know, yeah. I'm actually part of the club and, you know, you know, I won't be in awe of uh, the people around me. They're, they're basically my teammates. And, that seems like, I can't remember the topic how long that went on for, but it seemed again forever. And I was thinking, when am I going to get my debut? I thought I was going to get an opportunity and it never happened. And I thought, oh, I'm probably not going to happen this season. And then, 
you just get a, a lucky break. I'm just sitting on the bench thinking, you know, it's, I'm not going to come on again, really. I'm not going to bring a youngster on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having a difficult time. And then, um, look, well, unfortunately for the player, but luckily for me, that you know, they picked up a bit of an injury, um, Teddy Phelan, and, and uh, my opportunity came. And uh, I was, I'm, never, I'm not a nervous person. You know, I sort of just took it in my stride and, you know, what's meant to be meant to me. But as soon as I went on the pitch, you know, it was only just before half-time. So that probably probably helped me a little bit more because you know, I think the goalie made the kick, it went over my head and then it was half-time. Uh, and so, so Dave Watson pulled me to one side and goes, Bully, you know what Everton fans like, mate, so go out and show them what you can, what you can do and you know, put, a, put, a, you know, put a bit of good tackle in and yeah. you know, get fans on your side. So you know, I, you know, I've never been booked from the national team for the kids and I think after about 10 minutes, like, I thought I could fight Ramald Vega. There's about six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the general <laughs> would just like, be absolutely... <laughs> It was, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I've watched the game back, but I probably would have been running around like a headless chicken, really. <laughs> um, but in, in, in me inside, I was just obviously proud afterwards because the result was a big result for us. We won one nil, and uh, you know, it's probably only when you're walking off the pitch and you know, a cameraman runs over to you, takes a photo, you think, "What are you doing?" And then you're like, oh, "Okay, yeah, well, that's good." And, and my mum's got that picture, and I'm, you know, made up that happen because I would, I would have been a bit of camera shy and. Well, we just walked off, but <laughs> it's something like you look back now and you go, you know, that was a massive big moment for me personally, my family, and you know, probably more for me dad and my family than it was for myself at that time. But now thinking back, you're tired, it's uh, obviously a huge occasion for me. There's something that I've always wanted to ask someone that's had like such a successful career in the game, like yourself. So when you're playing for Everton, obviously they're your club, you know, the massive passion you have for them. Is it a lot more difficult being that local lad, kind of carrying the weight of the fan base on your shoulders when results aren't going as great? You know, do you like do you look back now and feel that you took you took it to heart a lot more than maybe the foreign players were because you've been a fan and you know how much the fans care about? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I sort of get yeah, I, I get that, and I, um, but I feel I, I sort of probably got away with it for the majority. Of my, I think probably not till like the last season because I was still a young kid. Mm-hmm. They'll probably look at other senior pros around me before they'll start, say, putting pressure on myself. Yeah. Um, you know, because I broke in so early, there was sort of, you know, I, I was only still young given time, probably attitude. But then as soon as you start getting sort of in the England fold and you start sort of making a career, then the pressure comes on because you've hit a level and the fans just want that level every time. And being a youngster, uh, as we know, you know, youngsters just don't seem to have that level, consistent level all the time. They have really high, high peaks and low dips. Um, so because we were a mixture of youth and um, older players, I think the youth kids sort of freshened up um, you know, the senior pros around. With Kadamachi coming on the scene and, you know, D- Danny probably took a lot of weight of it because he burst onto the scene and scored so many, you know, important goals against big teams. So a lot of probably news and pressure was probably on Danny more than myself being a sort of defensive defensive player. Yeah. Um, and then probably when we did have bad results, the majority of the time would have been the senior pros. I probably took the took the hits than myself. Mm. Um, but it, I understand it, it, it used to frustrate you when you, you know, you've had bad results and you, you know, you just see how other senior pros react. And it, it used to hurt me a lot. Um, and yeah. then used to look at senior pros and go, "What are they doing? Why are they doing that?" And you know, Dave Watson was, you know, was was great you know, about it. He, he he pulled me once and said, "Mike, if you win, don't get too excited. You yeah. know, celebrate your win, be happy." But then when you, you know, because if you lose, it's going to be a massive drop. Yeah, keep you know, you've got from a massive high to a massive drop, and you, it's 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 unhealthy for you. So just you know, play the whole season, and then you can look back at the season and go, well, "We've done well, or we could have done better." Yeah. And then you can sort of celebrate or, you know, talk about it then. But, you know, don't be the sort of go out celebrating after like one win and then you're going to get beat two or three times on a bounce. It's, it's a massive low. So it was how, there's nothing you can do as a player. The game's gone. Um, how you react afterwards is not going to change the result. Yeah. And that was something I picked up quite early on of, right, the game's gone. It's disappointing. You know, fans will be frustrated for another week and trust me footballers are even worse they want to play a game straight away if they get beat Saturday you want to play a game Sunday to get out of your system you know international breaks and and you've got to wait two weeks you're thinking how how are we going to turn this around you know people forgot and um, you just always want a game to put in a poor performance and change it around to a good performance again and obviously being a blue it's it's like a it was like a 
double for myself. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it just looked at, again as I said earlier on in the piece. It's just looking at how people around you sort of did things, and you try and take the good and the bad out of it to make yourself ready for the next game. You know, moaning and sulking about is not going to help anyone. Um, and that's what the managers normally try and do. Um, when you go through a really difficult time, it's it's so difficult because it feels like it's false. We're trying to make the training ground buzzy, you know, and happy environment, but you can't sometimes hide the facts of it. Yeah, we're struggling enough. right now yeah. but you still need someone in there who's got a bit of experience a bit of steel about them to go come on lads we, we have done it you know Richard Goff came in and um, you know he, he used to say you know, a lot of wise words to us all and and you know you just go out there and prove it you know we, we know we can do it because you do it against certain sides it was just some days it didn't tick for us and that's the most frustrating thing when you knew you've got decent players around you and we just weren't getting the results that's frustrating yeah so you obviously, you go on to sign for Rangers in 2001. Was it, it must have been really difficult for you to leave Everton at the time. But on the flip side, were you really excited about the prospect of playing for Rangers? Because they've got such a, a passionate fan base up there, haven't they? Yeah, they have. It was, yeah, it sort of came off the blue. Just, you know, I was away, you know, with my family and friends in the summer. And, you know, you know, was hoping to come back and sign a new contract with Everton, which never happened. Uh, which is, again, it was sort of like a dagger in your heart. It was really... It's took out your hands. You've, you, you, and then you go back pre-season. And you get told you're not wanted, and you're training with your players. And that's because the situation hasn't went in. And you know that for for you to be the one, you're looking around the squad. Going, look, there's a few you could, you, you could move on besides myself. I, my dream was the captain Everton. You know, so I didn't want to didn't want to leave that club. And you know, the club secretary at the time was the, we always used to speak about the future of the club and me being a captain. So that was my little ambition and I was very driven to make sure that was going to happen. And, you know, I, I, I had a good season. I got play of the year. So everything was sort of rosy. I got my number three shirt back uh, for that season coming up. So, you know, I was just ready to go back in pre-season and, you know, and hit the ground running. But then to get told that, you know, that's not that's not, not going to happen. You've got to, you know, think about yourself and, you know, Howard Wilkerson was... It was involved in England at the time. He phoned me up, and and there was clubs. There was uh, there was Liverpool. There was Middlesbrough, um, really? and there was Rangers. And, you know, me ex, me, me, me agent at the time was was Trevor Stephen, and he just said, "Just come to Glasgow, just get away uh, from Liverpool, and um, we'll just chill out up here for a bit." So I went up, and within like a day, you know, <laughs> I met David Murray, and uh, he was the chairman of, uh, of Rangers. And, and as soon as I met him, I felt wanted, and that's yeah. you know probably wasn't wasn't getting at Everton at that time, and. It was a massive decision, you know, going back and saying Gerard to all the people you've, you've you've known for years, and from the staff and the kitchen staff, the, the kit men and that, and you, you're coming away in tears with your boots to go back up to Glasgow. But then again, it's the it's decisions happened. Now you've got to focus on on paying back the loyalty, of the, 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 yeah. the belief that Rangers have, have, have put into you. So you've got to start putting performances for them, and obviously the fans will be excited for a new siren. So you've got to just, you know, Again, really, really difficult, and we, and my medical, you know, at the time took a very long time. It was very frustrating. I was probably finally relieved that it was all over, that I can just concentrate on my football again, and yeah, uh, start showing everybody what what I was capable of up in Scotland. You know, so they had a, again, they had a great, you know, great team, great players, full of internationals, big world class stars, and the balls and Carlos Canichas, and, and you, you. you you, you're Arthur Newman's a Dutch left back for many years and you've got to think well I've got to push him out you know you, people at the time probably thought going to Scotland you know it might have been a bit of a cop out but you know I was probably playing and being man of the match for Everton one week and I went up to Scotland and then I was on the bench you know, I, I had to sort of you know just because the manager bought me I wasn't straight in I had to go and prove my way to the manager and the players that you know I need to you know obviously fight for my shirt and you know, luckily enough, you know, got the opportunity, but it you, didn't happen. You it didn't last very long. Challenge at the time, is it like a, you kind of got that fire back in your belly, sort of? Sort of thing? Yes, yeah, I think. Well, it's 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 a new challenge. You know, you know, I was I was playing week in week out at Everton the year before, and that's why I got Player of the Year. But it was sort of like, um, probably early on in that year, uh, I wasn't. You know, so I had to I had to fight. I think we had brought in a couple of left-backs at that time. You know, when I was at Everton, I think they brought in Gary Naysworth, they brought in Pistoni, they brought David Unsworth back. And I was thinking, well, that's three other left-backs. They brought in, you don't need another left-back. You know, yeah. so that was sort of... So I got moved to centre-half and probably had my best season for Everton. Um, and, you know, got the player of the year. But then that probably made me get the move to Rangers, you know, with the scouts watching and 
uh, maybe the connection with the club uh, and Rangers. So again, you're back into Rangers and against all these other training sessions were very intense. There was a Dutch manager to have the cat who was called the general, uh, fantastic coach, very demanding. And you just knew straight away that it's a different level. You know, training was a different level. You're playing with world-class players who are still hungry for success. Rangers were hungry for success in trying to go on a, you know, a big European run. You know, they were really concentrating on trying to hit the ground running in Europe. And, you know, that was the, you know, the, one of the reasons why I went there, to, you know, to challenge myself against the best. And, Experience. Um, yeah, and again, you know, from Everton to Rangers and looking at, you know, how Ronald DeBoer and, and Michael Moles with the Claudio Canidia, the World Cup winners, how, how they sort of, how they look after themselves and what do they do. And just pick, you just suck it all in. And that's what I try and tell people now and when you're playing football, just suck everything you can in and then use whatever you can to add that to your game mm-hmm. uh, to make yourself a better like footballer. If it, it, not just um, your, your own sort of um, technical belief, it's your mental belief, you're understanding the game, the, the, the reason why people are passing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah sometimes you just see football and how people are passing for passing's sake, but it's sort of, there's a reason behind it all and, as soon as that clicks in your head, it just makes everything so easy. And you know, yes, at Rangers, we, you know, I'm not playing against, you know, same teams that have got the same level and same quality players as us. But it, I, I say to people, it's like it was like when a Premier League team plays someone in the, the FA Cup round three or four. It's a lower team, but it's their cup final. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. up in Scotland, if they play well against you personally, Rangers or Celtic are by you. So they're in the shop window, so it's their cup final. So you have like a right winger giving, like, giving me stick and making it as, as much of a nightmare as possible for, for me. Yeah, that, yeah. If that gets spotted, that's his big move. That's his big move. You know, maybe Scott Brown's at Hibs, you know, and he, he, played, he made a bit of a battle about it. And because he's probably done well for a couple of years against the, you know, the big two teams, you know, Celtic snap him up. Um, we bought Nacho Novo. Sorry? It's still very much the same now, isn't it? It's, you know, things haven't really changed. It is, like like you say, you're fighting to play for yeah. the top three teams. Yeah, they are. And, you know, it's obviously there's, there's a few fodden players up there now, but the majority are, you know, are Scottish. So it's their dream. You know, it's their ambition to go and play for the team. Of, you know, they haven't, unfortunately, been able to, to play in the academy level or, or the reserve level. So they've had to go elsewhere to find their pathway. And then when they get an opportunity to play against the top two, they're going to give it 120%. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know. So it's it was, it was always quite difficult for the first maybe ten or fifteen. If you haven't scored within fifteen twenty minutes, you know the standard. You know, the Rangers fans were, pressure's you know, the, the the pressure's on because they, it wasn't just about winning. It was how we won as well. You know, they like to play total football. We like to play football a certain way. You know, there won't be any hardly any uh, the ball will be going over, you know, <laughs> overhead height. We had to play football, and that was because we had to learn the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to to learn all that quite early on was. You know, it was challenging, but it was it was good. You know, enjoyed it. I, I like playing football. You know, like that's the way I used to like. Um, you know, sort of helped my style of play. Um, you got people who are hungry for the ball, and you have three or four options every time you got the ball. It made it all so simple. And and sometimes, yeah, when we, when we get the one, the two, the team sort of heads go down there. You know, and then you might go on and win three or four nil on on a few occasions. But uh, you you have to you know earn your earn your right and you know it's like when I, I say to people in England it was like yeah you can go out but if you just turn up you're not going to win you know you're not going to just turn up and win a game you you've got to put the effort in and yeah. your quality will shine through if you match them with you know the desire your quality will shine through and you know um, and that's majority what happened unfortunately I got you know, a really bad injury um, for 14 15 games into that season and that sort of wiped my Rangers career out for a couple of seasons which was probably the toughest time of my career um, yeah. not playing the game that you'd love you're away from home and you, you just you know it, it's just nothing you can do about it um, but, you know but, but, yeah very frustrating um, you're in every day and you're seeing everybody laughing and joking and, you, and you, you're trying to be a part of it but you're not um, you know, the lads won you know a double and a treble you know while I was uh, I was there every day seeing all that. And, yeah. you know, I didn't want to go on the pitch at the end of the season to see them all because I felt like I didn't deserve any of it. It was nothing to do with me. It was the lads. They deserve all the plaudits. And I just wanted to do it off my own back. And, you know, one day, hopefully, if that happens to me, I'll go on the pitch and, you know, then I'll take the applauders. I didn't want to sort of um, 
you know, just just join it because I was part of the squad. Uh, but it, that, again, so that made me more hungry. There's a reason why I went to Rangers was to you know, play Champions League football, but to win things. Silverware, so yeah. you know, yeah. And unfortunately, by the time I come back, the club probably wasn't in the same financials um, that it was when they bought me, and yeah. there were a lot, a lot of big big managers left, big players left, and it was a bit of a bit of a struggle. Um, I played quite a lot of games in, in my first season back. I got player of the month in my first month back from two years out. So I was happy that I'm playing to a certain level. I'm getting there. Um, but the not to win silverware was really frustrating in that year. And that just made me more hungry that the following year, you know, um, to, to hopefully the club will bring, you know, bring players back to the club and we can go fight and push Celtic. You know, to that side, they had a, you know, a fantastic team. We had, you know, obviously Hearts and Larson sitting up front. And, you know, we just have to... Um, Start challenging them, um, and luckily enough for us, we, you know, that that season we, we we won probably the most, most memorable um, the championship, the helicopter Sunday as they call it up there, and uh, you know that was you know, again that was the helicopters going one way to give Celtic the trophy, and then we scored, and it comes back, it comes to us, and all in the last game of the season, and um, that was sort of belief. Again, we're, we're doing. I went up there to win trophies and to, and then to wait to be that close. Uh, obviously, fantastic feeling, and uh, we won the, the league cup also that year. But the most memorable game up there was probably a one I wasn't playing in. Um, the guys got to the Scottish Cup final against Celtic. Um, as the sort of squad players or the wives, I think I probably went with on the coaches. You all meet up at Ibrox and your suits and your flowers on. Yeah, yeah, like the, like you do when you go to Wembley and the coaches go to Hamden Park and they play Celtic in the Scottish Cup final and they went behind twice. You know, the one nil, the one one, and two one, and it, the, the atmosphere was fantastic. You know, half a Hamden Celtic, half a Hamden Rangers, and the atmosphere was bouncing from end to end. Um, and fortunately for the uh, for the Teddy Bears, Peter, it's called the Peter Lovingrand's final. Now he scored, you know, um, in, in in the dying seconds, and and they snatched the win and won three two. And so the whole atmosphere of that, the way that game was played, is probably one of the best old firms I've seen yeah. as a fan. But being sort of half knowing the players and being watching both sets of fans sort of celebrating and going down um, the highs and the lows, the celebrations afterwards. Uh, back at Ibrox, um, yeah, that was yeah, that's when you, I've used to watch the old firm games and just think, wow, you know, what a game that is. You know, it'd be great to ever be a part of that one day. But that was that was something else. You know, it was a bit different having a suit on. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think I think the Rangers fans will, will always remember that. Remember that. I think probably Celtic fans remember that as uh, probably the worst cup final for them, and put the best one for Rangers. Uh, it was just the, the, it had everything, you know, the way old firms are, the fast, furious goals, and the fans, both sets of fans being like, unbelievable, loud, and trying to get behind their team. And um, when you're on the on the on the good side and you win, you always remember them. Did you kind of anticipate that atmosphere to be, you know, so like, because I can imagine it's very like, hostile up there because it's quite political, isn't it, between the two clubs? How does that atmosphere up there in Scotland compare to England? It's just, you can't really, you know. Um, it, it's it's difficult because you know I played so many Merseyside derbies that have been probably been very very poor, you know, to watch and, yeah. and to play in. Uh, you'd probably build them up for, you know, say in Merseyside, you're probably building the derby up for a week, ten days in the local media and the press and the fans getting excited. It's coming up, um, but up in Scotland that. The national papers, every one of them, like the Mirror, um, all all the national Scottish papers, they're building it up. You know, it's not just the Liverpool Echo. You know, it's every six or seven national papers are all built, and it's six or seven pages deep on the old firm coming up. So that they generate the sort of the the atmosphere and the pressure building up for it all. And you know, as a player, you, you love it because that's what you want to do. You want to play against your arch rivals. You want to you know, prove yeah, a point against them. So you know, as a as a player, it was great. It was a great buzz, you know. Some, you just hope that the fans will behave themselves, and it's it's just going to be hostile. But you know, you know a, a great, you know, a, a great experience, you know. And you know, some, as I said, but sometimes I've played in old fan games that have been very dour. You know, people say, "What's it like?" I went, "Well, it wasn't that good." <laughs> but it's because of the performance of us on the pitch more than anything. If we if we put in the performance on the pitch, the atmosphere goes up. Natural. You know. 
And, and it was the same in the Merseyside derby. And obviously, you put in good performance. The fans are, you know, are fantastic. If the players put in a sort of, you know, back down, it's kicking around. It's a very scrappy game. And it's sort of, it has either there. The, the atmosphere is not that good. So it's down to the players. But the players do a bit of magic and, and start showing, you know, through tackles in there, the, the atmosphere goes up. So it's, but nine times out of ten in, in Scotland, you know, they are the fierce affairs. And, you know, when it goes right, there's not much you can beat. <laughs> So, in 2005, you made the move to PSV. Did you have offers from other clubs in the UK then, or was playing abroad something you always wanted to try? Um, well, playing abroad was always quite very early on, not in my head, but in offers from the club, like Roma, uh, were always looking at me when I was, was at Everton Football Club, and I always think, why were I Roma? You know, why would I go to Italy? But, you know, it was just, they just, I think my style was more foreign back then. Um, you know, left back as well. Yeah, I was left back and well left of left of three as well, and yeah. and it was just the, probably the way I played, and it was it's always been spoke about, but it's never been in my ambition at all. Really, I've always just thought, well, my ambition was always to stay in Everton for the rest of my career. I never thought okay. of anything else. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, again, the Ranger situation come to the halt where I you know I had to move on. But, you know, spoke to Graham Sooners who was at Newcastle at the time, um, and but I agreed. Uh, Birmingham decided uh, oh, Nicky Butt and I agreed with Steve Bruce to, to go to Birmingham um, but then it was I think it was like a well my agent did um, <laughs> and it was it was like a like a, a three year deal but then I think the owner went away you know I think he went on holiday in the mountains and no one could get hold of him to finalise if everything was okay That's handy. Uh, and, and, and on the, the last day of the transfer you know I was basically sitting in my house in Glasgow thinking what's happening and yeah. um, and the agent turned up and said, Birmingham have said, yeah, the deal's on, but it's only one year. I was like, oh, you know, what, what am I going to do now? So I had a choice, really. I had, you know, a big choice to, I knew I wouldn't be able to play at Rangers. So, you know, being up in Scotland and not playing football, you know, the year before at Rangers, you know, they had a, a contract problem and you know, I was paying 4000 just to play, just to, to get back in the fold and get me, get me back in the, in the picture to, for the clubs to come in and, oh, and, and take me away. Um, so, when Birmingham come in, I thought, well, I've got to go to Birmingham, prove a point. Um, and on the way to the airport, um, Gus Hiddink phoned me mobile. And I wouldn't have normally answered it. I just thought it was a weird number. For some reason, I answered the phone. And it was Gus Hiddink. And he spoke to people at the club. He'd seen me games that we played in the Champions League against another Dutch team earlier, a few weeks earlier. Yeah. Uh, they just sold their, They got to the semi-finals against... Um, AC Milan in 2005, you know, they should have beat AC Milan. AC Milan scored an away goal to play Liverpool in the final. That sort of knocked PSV out and they sold their left back then to Tottenham. Uh, so they needed to fill that gap. And he, he made that call and he said all the right things and, you know, about improving me, developing me as a player still and hopefully getting me back in the England team. And you know, so he, he said everything. So I put the phone down and said, Trevor, I think... Uh, <laughs> Have you spoke to PSG? And he said, PSV, and he said, no, uh, they, they, they wanted you on loan, but the Rangers said that's a no-go. And he said, oh, no, he's talking about signing me. And he goes, oh, let's get to the airport because I'm driving. And then he just said, look, yeah, it's right, it's on. So what do you want to do? And I went, well, you know, got a chance to play for PSV, Champions League, and I'm off. Um, so, that was, so that was it then. And then again, it was um, obviously different culture. Um, but it, the training was similar to what I was used to because obviously we were assigned at Rangers. I was at the cat and uh, Jan Valters was one of the coaches. And um, <clears throat> so I knew the Dutch way of training. So it was just trying to learn the language and, you know, integrate and show everyone what I was, what I was capable of. It was very, yeah. it's very family orientated club. You know, obviously with Phillips uh, being the owner, he'll be around going to the games and the training ground would be open for fans. So there'd be a couple of hundred people every day. Um, in around just having a coffee and watching your train so it was very relaxed um atmosphere but you had to perform and it was a similar pressure than it was at rangers yet you you're one of the better teams in the league but you've got to perform you've got to perform well and you've got to perform with a certain standard yeah the pressure uh, to, to win games and you know the year before they had a successful year so they wanted to go again so yeah i was it was it was nice they reached out to me to to fill that gap and to, to push on but unfortunately i was cut tied because the back then, because it was I played the earlier Champions League qualifiers with Rangers, that they wouldn't allow it. 
Oh, um, Rangers went through the next bit, so it was uh, yeah. um, that was disappointing. But you know, we won the league pretty pretty convincingly, and uh, we got to the cup final. And we unfortunately got beat last minute against Ajax. So it was you know, a successful like first year, and I enjoyed it. Um, you know, there was there was people over there. Who, Danny had a match here from Everton. He knew somebody, so I used to meet them and. Uh, just relax in, in, in the meantime. But the players, you know, Clive was joining. There was Philip Cocu, captain of uh, Barcelona for so many years. Um, you know, Alex was the centre half who went to Chelsea yes, um, after a couple of years. And Gomez, the goalkeeper, the far fan up front, and Aruna Kone, he used to sit next to. And then he obviously sat for Everton a few years later on. So, so yeah, the way the Dutch went about things was, I get it, I had a lot to learn because it was sort of. Opposite the way I've been brought up, say the English FA way, uh, the Dutch had their own way. Um, so it was a learning curve, but it was something that you know, I, I'm great to see now. Kids going abroad, young players going abroad to to open their minds because I think it helped us English players internationally as well. Knowing how the other teams think and how other teams go about things, um, we've probably been so single-minded thinking England is the best and we are the best. We're doing things the right way, but. Unfortunately, international level, we're failing. Yeah. That was something I was going to yeah. on, you know, because you look at people like Jaden Sancho who's gone to Dortmund now. Do you think it yeah. is like really beneficial for these players to move abroad and kind of hit the reset button, really, and, you know, learn? Yeah, well, it, 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 yeah, well you know, they're, they're obviously very, very good players to go to these teams. These aren't, they're not going to small teams abroad. They're going to top massive yeah. European clubs who are, you know, doing well in Europe year after year. Um, but that's going to develop them. You know, they've been at, you know, you say he's been at Manchester City learning his trade, you know, everything that, you know, of the England sort of way. But now the Germans are going to put a bit of extra to him. So that's right. going to bring his, his whole round football brain and his ability much better. And then when it, that's going to help England in the, you know, going to these European Championships and these World Cups, you just hope that you know, so many going away. You know, I went away abroad when it wasn't fashionable. Yeah. But I always said, it, you know, it, it, it did help me when I, when I moved back to England of yeah. how to look after the lads in the changing room before them, you know, how to go about different. When I was at, in, at Everton, I was a young kid that was foreigners, but I didn't think it was my job to say hello to or not say hello to them, but to, yeah. you know, how you're settling in, you know, you know, the family okay. I was too probably too dedicated on myself and focused on myself, yeah, and it was up to, and probably England wasn't ready for the, for the influx of so many foreigners at that time. Yeah. We're going away to Holland and they see you know, the, the Marios and Ronaldos all coming up and you know, they all settle in. Um, you're thinking, well, if they can settle in coming from Brazil and, and, come and leaving this club as legends, you know, they're obviously doing something right. Um, you know, and we had different cultures. You know, there was um, you know, South Americans couldn't speak English or Dutch. I couldn't speak South American. <laughs> uh, you know, we had like a mixed table where I was, you know, there was a couple of English lads, like Australian-American guy uh, be on my table a couple yeah. of Dutch lads you can speak English but football's all one language and it's all about your coaching your coaching staff and how they go about it and training spending time on that pitch and then it, yeah. when you see it when you see it on Saturday it just all clicks it's just because of the ability of the players around you but also down to the coaching there's no no excuses I think England used to try and find excuses um, you know, probably back in my day earlier on go well they need time to settle or you know, they need to learn the language to play football. You know, I think just that's that's just an excuse, a bit of a cop out, really. Good players find a way of playing well together, and uh, that's just all down to your coach and, and your manager. I feel. Yeah. So you go and join Man City in January two thousand seven. You go and make sixty three appearances for the club. How do you look back now at your time at City? Because I think towards the end of your career at City, Sheikh Mansour buys the club. So. What was that like being at the club, knowing a lot of money was going to be pumped into it? Um, well, it was. I was at City for say three, three and a half years. Was it three years? And I was sort of three different managers, uh, three different owners. Um, obviously, when I first went, Stuart Pearce there, they couldn't really. Um, the club were probably in a bit of a bad way, um, sort of fighting relegation and, and and money money problems off the pitch, and then. Um, Shino uh, Action, the, the, the Thailand president, he bought the club um, in the summer and promised a lot of money. You know, he, he promised he's going to be, I think he's probably two billion pounds he, he promised to spend on, on the club. So that year, uh, when he brought Sven, he, he was talking about 
building academies all around the world um, and having mini Man Cities all around the world. Probably what Man City are doing now. Yeah, that yeah. was sort of his, that, that was his dream of what he wanted to do. Um, and we start, and we brought in a lot of players. Sven come in very late. Um, I think we bought nine players in a week before the season. Um, but we we started really well. You know, we were we were probably second, third, and fourth, probably all the way up to Christmas and. We just faded away after January through one reason or another. I, I feel it's down to, I can't blame the foreigners because the foreigners are the one who got us there. It was yeah. just them first year in, in playing in England, playing over Christmas they've never done before. Uh, like Alano, they're flying to Brazil. He was fantastic. And then fly, you know, he was a, a great player, but he's flying to Brazil, being our best player. And then coming back from Brazil, say Friday morning, then we're expecting him to be, you know, on the game, ten out of yeah. ten again, yeah. On the, yeah. on the, so over to, over the period of time, you know, that's going to take its toll. And they were so technical, Giovanni, Alano, uh, Petrov in front of me, great players. And the, when they were probably dipping in form, well, probably not dipping in form, but just the rest of us weren't good enough to to carry them. You know, when, you know, they carried us to, to keep us up to that table. But then the rest of us probably couldn't you know, keep up when they probably wanted a bit of a bit of backing themselves. We just started fading away. We, we got we got Europe. They had a fair play, but we're still Europe. But um, it was just a disappointing end. Uh, the way it sort of started so rosy. The pressure on Sven um, again. Sven being Sven, the media just absolutely loved them. So. A lot of our games were on the Sunday, all and the eyes of the world were all, were all on Sven, and he took it in his stride. But it gave us that opportunity to, to go out and for us to focus on our football. The pressure was more on Sven than it was the players. Um, so that, and then obviously, disappointing that Sven uh, left because the, for one reason or the Tyona wasn't happy with how it finished. Um, and then we found that you know, the money was frozen, you know, they didn't have any money. <laughs> you know, the money yeah. was what was promised was not there. Um, and then Sheikh Michelle come in um, and, Mark, and then Mark Hughes came in and then for myself it was again another reset button you, you, Sven I missed out there sorry when, he, when he's buying the players you know he said to players and the, so you go players if you want to move on you know, I'll help you move on if you want to fight for your shirt fight for your shirt and you know I was I knew Sven was going to bring in a left back but I was ready to have a fight and have an opportunity to show what I was what I was us and you know um Yavi yeah, did well for, for a while, but you know, Sven promised me that he'd give me an opportunity. He promised the three goalkeepers. There was Isaacson, who was the number one. There was Castus Michael, who did really well for six games. He promised everyone six games, and he'd pick who's the best. And uh-huh. uh, you know, history tells itself. Obviously, Joe Hart took, you know, kept the share, but he could easily could have kept Castus Michael in because he did nothing wrong for the six games he was involved. Yeah, uh, but Sven was, Sven was just man of his word, and I got my opportunity, and, and then the share was mine then for, for me to lose. Yeah. And then when Mark Hughes came in, again, promising more money, new owner, we're thinking, oh, here we go again. You know, is this real? You know, we'd probably, probably talk about a bit of a pinch of salt, really, thinking, oh, here's another owner with some money. Um, and probably didn't take it too serious until we start seeing the names that we were getting linked with. You know, you see Rabinio coming in. Um, they were getting linked with uh, Kaka. Kaka was... was Fairly agreed to come with us, but he had to change a heart last minute. So then you're thinking, wow, this is real. You know, <laughs> this is real. But for myself, I'm thinking, let's not get sucked up. I, I need to, you know, you know, I've only got a year to prove to Mark Hughes that, you know, I deserve to be here. I want to win another contract. So it was all down to me, you know, for me being selfish myself to start putting performances in. Um, you know, which I thought they did really well. Um, there was talks of new contracts happening. And then just after the Christmas break, playing so many games over the Christmas period, um, sadly, me, me knee, you know, just could not handle the, the games after game. Uh, probably sort of didn't really get looked after properly. Um, you know, normally you, you, you play a game on a Saturday, you, you chill out for a couple of days, but you, you're playing football, you're playing the Premier, you're playing a high standard. The doctors are telling you not to, but you're thinking, well, I'm still playing at a good level. I'm still getting a couple of man of the match awards, and, you know. So it can't really can't be that bad. But then, unfortunately, it sort of blows up on you, and then you you're back on the treatment table, and you're getting a, I told you so. What you're doing? Type <laughs> telling off by the surgeons, and yeah. unfortunately, that was my career. That city over, um, you know, out for you know a good period of time. Um, obviously, Mark Hughes is not going to then not give me a contract, and uh, I was just have to go in and. Being around the city lads, um, as all these big plays started coming in, I think Lescott was probably the biggest one. Came in, 
just before I left uh, for the last time. But you know, you could just see it was it was real. You know, the uh, the change the changing room sort of got a re ramp. The the club got a re ramp, and it was just gone from one level to another level again within a couple of years. And you just knew that this these guys were serious, and one day they're going to be you know, a force for you know for Manchester United and everybody else in the league. And um, you know they have gone about it an expensive way, but it's uh, a way that if you're a City fan, you're probably loving any, every bit of it. What was the um, the sort of like the camaraderie and the you know the dressing room and stuff like at Man City then compared to being at Everton and Rangers? Because I can imagine if I try and put myself in your shoes, all these players are coming in, signing from some massive teams, Yolanos, Petrovs, etc. Different nationalities, different characters. Was it? Was it like a happy dressing room or was it something that you hadn't experienced before? Um, no, it was something that, it was, it was different, um, you know, but it's, it happens majority of the year, especially in Holland. You know, yeah. Holland do yeah. normally do a medical round of players, you know, maybe every couple of years they do successful and then the, the players move on, you know, they end up going to the biggest leagues in the world, you know, they go to Spain, England and, and Italy, uh, and then and then he sort of start again, and then he develop a couple of more. So I've been around a lot of changes, um, but yeah, but probably, probably the Man City one. It was the probably the level of the, the players walking in. Mm-hmm. So many of them, you know, Tevez coming in. You're thinking, you know, Rabinho's coming in. You go, it wasn't just a number. There was there were world class players coming in who were hungry. Obviously, getting you know, obviously good contracts to come to the club, but. They were hungry because the pressure was on them to put to put the club to yeah. another level. You know, they've been sold the dream of what the club wanted to be, but it's up to them to go out on the pitch and and deliver. Um, you know, and it, you, you're going to get the ones who can who can rise to the occasion, and you get some 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 ones that you know just the pressure gets too much for them. But you could you could just see that the club were, do, were, were doing everything possibly they can. You know, to it's obviously just about winning silverware for say yeah. the sleeping giants of Manchester City and. And then when you see so many big players coming in, you just, you just dent, that's when you sort of knew that this is real. This is happening. It's not a, you know, what happened the year oh, before with the tight end owner. And, and you're just thinking, you know, who, who else is coming? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, you're probably looking thinking, who else is like stars in their eyes? Who's coming through this door now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was great. It's good, you know, the Craig Bellamy coming in. And uh, it was just, it was, it was different because everyone was, it made training a lot. You know, Mark Hughes, the, the good thing about Mark Hughes, that his training sessions were intense. So it got that sort of competitiveness is around us. He's better quality around you, but you know, you've still got to show what you're all about to, to, to get that share to the weekend. So, you know, it was, it just took it training to another whole level again um, from what it was the, the previous years. And, you know, you see, obviously, see City what they've done in you know the last ten years or so, and you know they're still never going to be happy until you know they they got more silverware, and obviously the Champions League is what they you the know they're crying out for, and the, the one that they've always wanted, and yeah. you know I feel they've had a lot of bad luck in that in that competition, but you, you need it in, in cup competitions, you need it, you need the ability, you need the hunger for your players, but you also yeah you, you need your luck at times, and um, and sometimes you've got to make your own luck, uh, but you know. It won't, it won't be long until we'll have a Champions League. I, don't, I think them owners are hungry for it, so they'll, they'll stop at nothing until they, until they get it. Yeah. So now you're a football agent, but you've also got a column in the Liverpool Echo as well. Are both of those roles yeah. something that you've always known you've wanted to go into after retiring from the game? <laughs> no, no, not at all, no. <laughs> no, no I, I used to hate journalists. I hated <laughs> talking to the media. Uh, I didn't mind talking to the media, but you just knew that they were trying to get a story out here. So, okay. you, you're, yeah, you, you, you come across quite boring and dull because you don't want to give anything away. You don't want to dish your teammates. You don't want to dish your manager by saying the wrong thing. Sometimes if you're younger, you might say a few things, being a bit naive, but that you learn from it. And uh, Especially up in Glasgow, you have to be very careful with the media. So... And though as a player, you look at the papers, some you know, people play, so they don't, they do. They look at the ratings, what they're giving them. If you get a dodgy five, you're like, Dan, I don't like him anymore. And, and the, but that, it, it's a, quite a bit of a buzz, really. Um, and then I no. have the blue, I got a phone, I got a phone call from Greg O'Keefe. Um, again, you know, I'm not one for answering my phone, really, but I, I answered the phone and he just said, Look, there's a, you know, a column, you know, it's been uh, one of the, I can't remember who left now, I think it might have been Ian Snowden. There's a, there's a piece available, do you want to do it? And I said, well, not really. You know, it's not my cup of tea. And then he said, just give it a go. And then 
you know, it's dead easy. I was like, well, is it? You know, <laughs> but I didn't want to be a player. Dissing. I know how hard it is being a player. I know what the the difficulties is of, you know, you don't know everything. You know, fans obviously want the best of every player, but you don't know the ins and outs of what the uh, what the managers told them to do. You know, you probably listen to what pundits on Sky say and think they're right, and sometimes they are. But the manager might have said them to do a play a certain way, and they're getting stick for that. Yeah. And um, and stuff, and maybe in private life and stuff. So I know how difficult it is. So I didn't want to be one of them sort of go into that pundit punditry way. Um, but then, as soon as I started, you know, I, I just turned into a fan. I put that to one side. I've still got to be mindful of what it's like being a player. But I know what fans expect. I know what fans' minimum requirements are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if the players aren't doing it, I will, I will dig them out. Because I'll, I'll be digging them out if I was still playing. If they were teammates, I'll be saying it to them, to the face in the changing room. So, it's not much different what I do in my column. But when they play well and... And they do well, they get the right results. They need plaudits as well. So it's something I've been um, enjoying quite a lot. You know, I've grew into it. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying it. Just obviously, lockdown was a bit difficult. You can't go to the game. So the same, most of the game, last obviously a few games of the season, you watch it on telly and, you know, it's hard I'm to be I'm probably, uh, yeah. So it's, it is a bit difficult, but, you know, it's, it's something I really enjoyed. Um, the agency side of things, again, sort of out the blue. Um, you know, I got asked to sort of help and consult the local agency, and I thought, well, that's not really my cup of tea. But then you start meeting the players, you meet the parents, and then you feel you've got this sort of experience you can pass down to them because take you back coach, all time. Yeah, yeah and co- coaching wasn't was never sort of going to be for me. You know, I, I, I was going to go down that route, and it's, I just knew it was not me. But this is a new way of sort of working hand in hand with someone closely, like one v one, and and giving them your guidance and your experience, and and to also speak to the you know you speak to the parents a lot, being uh, being like an agent and um, the, the pit, let's say the pitfalls, but what to look out for and what not to get sucked into, and and all you've got to do is try and give every every tool you can possibly to to your players to, for yeah. the for them to go out and express themselves, and and hopefully they'll they'll have a great career, you know, whatever level themselves, and get the best out of their ability, and that's all. That I'm basically trying to do now. Um, you know, it, it wasn't sort of reaching out to bring players through. It's just the phone started ringing and uh, parents contacting some players, contact ex players, kind of retired quite early. You know, they needed help. Um, you know, even though they're, they're old and wise enough themselves, they've probably been used to agents doing a lot of things for them. And <laughs> yeah, you know, quite <laughs> so lazy. But then it, again, that was that was the way it was back then. So it's it's a different way about going about it. It's about you know watching a young kid and develop being a, a man off the pitch as well but yeah. they're all realising he's still a young boy you know and he's got to put every effort he can into, into the game into football to get the benefits out of it and yeah, you know that's that's what I'm just yeah it's just you know, being a mentor for them really you know agents is not really that sort of thing I'd really like be stuck to you know it's, it's just it's my sort of consultancy of being around being a mentor for the parents and the player themselves and give them every advice possible and let them choose you know I'll give them my advice and let them choose and you know make their own career for themselves instead of sort of being probably being dictated to like many ages have in the past Fantastic so finally the podcast is centred around going the match so with every podcast we're doing I want to end by asking what are your top three favourite matches you've been to or obviously in your case that you played in so I know you'll have I'd imagine you have quite a few to pick from there so the top Oh God! <laughs> right, um, I probably have to say Everton '95. Um, I was going to say one of playing in the Anfield last time we were at Anfield, uh, but when <laughs> but but going as a fan, it was '95. Obviously, my first sort of FA Cup final. Yeah. I missed '84. I was young, so it was '95. We're in the FA Cup final, and you know. Um, just watching the Blues, you know, win win that FA Cup against you know a brilliant Man United side and Big Nail was fantastic on that day. You know, that'll have to be in my top three. Um, it's number one would have to be when I was playing. Would would have to be the helicopter Sunday, the final day um, of when we won the league for Rangers, where we were playing catch up for. The last four or five games of that season against Celtic, Celtic just needs us to win to win the league, and 
you know, we needed to win to sort of pile the pressure on. We won and, and Celtic failed to do that. And you know, the helicopter turned around and the green ribbons come off and the blue ones come on and going out celebrating afterwards with still be kit on. You know, it's, we had the, it's uh, iconic, that really, isn't it? Yeah, it was, you know, it's unbelievable that people still talk about it today and probably many years to come. But it was that so excited to get back to Ibrox and see the fans. You know, yeah. the, we played away from home and we got back to Ibrox and, you know, there was thousands and thousands of fans inside waiting for us to come back. And you know, many of the lads didn't even get a shower. We just threw our suits on and, <laughs> and we still had our, you know, still had our kit underneath. And we just wanted to get back to the atmosphere on the bus going back to our box. That was, yeah. that was fantastic. That was, so that's got to be my number one. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, what did I say before? 95. Um, uh, I was so difficult it's it could be the Anfield one but then you'll you won't be happy with that I probably have to say me, me first trophy as a professional you know it probably wasn't the best of games but personally for myself just the way it was the way I got injured from Rangers um that must have been great I feel like you were writing you know you're writing your name in Rangers history as well yeah and it's just, it took a while you know I've been there for a couple of years you know my injury set me back and you know, I just didn't think it was ever going to happen. I've missed a double, I missed the treble. Uh, and then I'm thinking, when's it going to be my turn? And, and it's probably, as I was saying before, going on that pitch and, you know, getting the applause of the fans because I've had a, been a part of it, yeah. you know. Um, and that's probably been my you know, first silverware as a, you know, a proper professional. You know, as a kid, you'd have medals coming all over the place with all kinds of things. But the ones that you, you turn professional for is the ones that you know, you're going to remember for, for many years to come for your family. So... I'll have to put, put that game in as the League Cup and it's just a League Cup but it's my first one that, so it still means so much it makes you hungry again to, to, to get more and luckily enough I got the league at, at range the helicopter one but then also the PSV title as well which you know, you know it's obviously a good thing to look at back on now Brilliant so before you go I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wake up tonight aren't I thinking about other games <laughs> 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 there'll be so many going into my head but uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'll toff my head. They were the first three that came to me. <laughs> so before you go, mate, I just want to say a massive thanks for giving up your time and coming on and giving me the opportunity to have a have a word of you today and go through, you know, your life being a fan and then obviously coming through your career and then what you're doing now with the Echo. So just a massive thank you. No, oh, no, no problem at all. No, I enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Thank you, mate. Cheers. If you haven't already, please subscribe, follow yeah. and share. And of course, leave a five-star rating.